Hello, everyone. Hello, Garbage Main, and thank you, Tyler, for having me. And I think Tyler is is amazing. And it just makes me wonder: you're dead, bitch. You know, why, why are you doing this to this poor guy? And I'm I'm a fan of this show. I've I've watched several episodes and enjoyed it. I go both ways. What do you think, Archie Flyer? Are you there, sir? Hello. The homeless are a fucking huge problem. I done, and then right after that, you probably thought, well, I don't have it. All right, let's go to a caller, another caller okay. in Texas. Let's talk to Andrew. Andrew, thanks for calling. Andrew. Libertarian <laughs> Renaissance Fair pipeline. Right. Yes, my maiden queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, <laughs> I gotta get more beer. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the Libertarian Podcast Review. Uh, we played the Kill Pod intro for a good reason. One of those is because uh, we're not going to do real heavy-duty stuff. We're not going to review a podcast. Well, we might review a little bit of a podcast, but we have a very special guest today. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. If you've checked out this show ever and you look back in the, the archives, you saw that I did an early review of the P- Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, Pete Quinones. And he was more than gracious enough to come on and talk. So we're going to talk today, but not really about politics stuff. But so, the man that was just honored and the, by the Canadian Parliament, welcome everybody, Pete Kenyans. How you doing? I guess that you know, just a little bit of Ukrainian blood that I have is, uh, you know, goes right back to you know. I'm sure somewhere Stepan Bandera is in there. Uh, by the way, you, you you came at me, not came at me on Twitter, but I, I did a really stupid, and it was meant to be dumb, right, which was about, I just, and by the way, I hadn't done any real research other than I saw that there was an actual Nazi in Canada that they uh, uh, cheered on simply because he fought the Russians. So take out the Japanese. There's going to be a Nazi influence, wouldn't you say? Um. Well, I mean... If if what you consider to be like what Putin considers to be a Nazi is not somebody who hates, you know, a certain select group of people, it's somebody who hates Russians, then, yeah, I mean, there seem to be a lot of Nazis around if you want to use that definition. Well, I mean, back. No, I bet. I mean, like this guy, he was from World War Two. He fought the oh, yeah. Russians. So yeah, yeah. Y- your, your only logical conclusion is, well, who was he, who was he associated right. with? That should have right. been some sort of vetting process that was just right at the top. Yeah, people forget that um, the United States sided with, you know, the Soviet Union. Um, Before. Stalin, who had just um, <laughs> gone through the Red Terror, where he just killed people at random and um, like so, like his officers were coming back from the Spanish Civil War and they'd report into him and he'd be like, He'd be like, oh, okay, thank you for your report. Take him out and shoot him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was just get, getting rid of everyone. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I guess if you were somebody who got, you know, was in the were in the Ukrainian army and you you were in the Ukrainian army in World War II, you were a Nazi, technically, because you fought with them. You were a national socialist because you fought with them. Um, I don't know that these people like held to the tenets of national socialism or even like right-wing socialism or anything like that but you know they have to be uh if they're fighting alongside then i guess yeah sure but i mean i thought it was great because it just really goes to show the fact that 
whoever did this, they either did this as a complete troll or they were so <laughs> clueless because they just assumed that this guy was like a part of the Azov, like they're like the version of the Azov battalion from back then, you know, which would have been anti-Russian. And it just really, and I think another thing it goes to show is that people just don't know anything about World War II. Right. Well, that that's a that is a problem. Let's look, and I don't really need to get into all this stuff, but uh, since I have you on here, uh, I just came across this, so I thought we'll play this sure. partly because you're talking about it's a troll type of situation, but also think of how they it's it's almost like Trump derangement syndrome, where oh, anti-Russian, boom, they're going to just glob onto him, and then the immediate aftermath. So let's play this uh, wonderful. <laughs> this is great. In a few moments, I will address the House in front of all Canadians, in front of Jewish people here and around the world, and Ukrainians, to offer Parliament's unreserved apologies for what happened on Friday. The Speaker was solely responsible for the invitation and recognition of this man, and has wholly accepted that responsibility and stepped down. This was a mistake that has deeply embarrassed Parliament and Canada. All of us who were in this House on Friday regret deeply having stood and clapped even though we did so unaware of the context. It was a horrendous violation of the memory of the millions of people who died in the Holocaust, and it was deeply, deeply painful for Jewish people. It also hurt Polish people, Roma people, 2SLGBTQI plus people, disabled people, racialized people, and the many millions who were targeted by the Nazi genocide. So <laughs> what, what got me, that, that could be uh, an SNL skit uh, like, you know, 1980 something, right? Where yeah, yeah. You're, you're starting off a nice little apology. And next thing you know, you've gone to the extremes on who you're apologizing for. Uh, so I look, here's what I find is they honored this guy. Now they're having to backpedal. It was no, no vetting to begin. It's just, it's, to me, it's a hilarious situation. What's your take on it? Well, like I said, I think it's, it's so amazing that you, you actually get up there and it's like, well, this guy in World War II killed communists. And that was a bad thing. That's, I mean, I'm sorry, that's my takeaway from it. Right. And then you, of course, you have to you have to throw in every. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there were a lot of transgender people in, in the camps. And I think, notice he left out Catholic priests because there were mm -hmm. Catholic priests. There were Lutheran priests in there too who um were against the third reich left all the left all them out you know it's like oh he, he could have lumped them all in all in together although you know it wasn't like all, every catholic priest and every lutheran was in there um it was just the ones who opposed and worked worked against were treasonous um i just i find it hilarious that in I, the way i saw people reacting on twitter to i mean it's like if you make excuses for what this guy did, I mean, he fought for Hitler. You know, he worshipped Hitler. There are people just saying, well, he worshipped Hitler. You can't make any. It's like, how do you know that? I mean, how do you know that he even knew what Hitler looked like? You know, it's this is it's the most insane. It's yeah, I, I have a Substack coming out tomorrow, and it's just going to basically talk about how it soon it's gotten to the point where they label people progressivism was all about hey people are born with a with a clean slate we can turn them into perfect citizens 
Um, it's our fault if we don't. And it's gotten to the point now where they've worked so hard that it's not their fault anymore. They're not blaming themselves. It's just that some people are born bad. And if people are people who are born bad, like people who embrace Christ, um, people who embrace traditional values, uh, people who care about their family, people who care about where they're from. I mean, these are all labeled as Nazis now. And since Nazis, you know, what did they do to the Nazis in the 40s? The ones they they made a they they made a statement by giving them the rope. Now anyone that they label as a Nazi, you just associate the rope with them. So it's okay to kill kill Nazis because they're you know Nazis are not they're not people. They they can't be they're irredeemable in the progressive religion. So, I mean, that's pretty much where we are at this point. And um, that's what you saw that with that guy. I mean, the, the things that people were saying about him without even knowing who he was. I mean, right. what was his intention of being there? Was his intention of being there to be like, I'm totally trolling these people because, you know, <laughs> I fought on the side of Hitler? Yeah. Well, so look, Canada, I presume they gave him citizenship, right? So, uh, I mean, if he's this evil person, uh, he's a war criminal on the run why is why has he not been hunted down and they can easily find him and bring him before parliament so these are these are human look and and what you say about um calling everyone a Nazi, i mean it it does water down right it's but at this point do we care any more about names i mean the name calling that people do it's simply to try to make it so you're they don't have to make arguments with you anymore would you agree with that no I don't think it's about making arguments i think it's about dehumanizing people so that when it comes to the point it's easy to kill us hmm because okay. we're not human. Well, so. okay, that, that that doesn't. I don't think that um, deflates what I said. Because what I, my intent, what I right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's worse. Well, yeah, you're right. To, it's worse. They don't have to make arguments now. They can just you know punch a Nazi is fine, right? Right. right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, so, so Pete, here's what I, I've, I've followed you for years and, and I, I, I've had a, a decent online relationship with you and I'd love to meet you someday. Uh, by, by the way, my co-host Andy said he has met you at Childerberg, said tell you hi. He's not a oh, yeah, yeah. day, yeah. Uh, but he's, year, yeah. he's working or something like that. So uh, good yeah. for him. Um, good story. Likely story. <laughs> right. Uh, but what I thought was, uh, what I've always held out with you is you came on... Uh, no matter our disagreements, I always liked that you came on my show right away and you were super nice to, you know, five listeners that I had at the time. And so for me, I've always like, uh, Pete's an upstanding guy and we can have differences completely fine. And I've seen you change over the years and I, and, and I, I think it's wonderful. And, and so I wanted to talk kind of about that part. What, first of all, let's talk about your show to begin with. It was Free Man Beyond the Wall. Now it's the Pete Quinones show. And you've talked about the impetus of, of doing that, but what what was wrong with the name um, in the first place? Or did you just want to have more Pete Quinones uh, tag to it? And then um, what's the reason you can talk about that a little bit too? Well, I mean, I sort of got, I sort of became, my name became a brand. You know, you'd be, I'd listen to podcasts and people would be like, well, Pete said the other day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I guess everyone's supposed to know who Pete is. So let me just use my name. But what was more important to me is, the name Freeman Beyond the Wall would, uh, if you t if you have a potential guest who doesn't know you or anything like I'm I'm, I'm working on a guest right now who has no idea who I am and um, yeah, he's putting out a book and he's more like Claire like Claremont Institute yeah. kind of uh, adjacent and 
it's like I don't want people to look at the name and be like, okay, what's this all about and everything like that. If they just see my name, you know, it's it's probably less likely they're going to go digging and looking for episode titles too, you know. Right, so, yeah. but um, no, it was it was all about um, one a, have, having a brand, and then two, um, just having it so that people didn't weren't formulating in their mind what you know trying to come up with hey what's this guy about and asking questions you know if you just have like um if you just have your own if you just use your own name and everything tom woods it's like tom woods can have pretty much anyone on and have a good conversation with them you know he had jordan peterson on back in 2017 and he's had you know hans herman hoppe on back in the day um so he, he can run the game he can have you know normies on to talk about things so it's like i mean i don't know how much I really have what kind of conversation I could have with a normie now, unless it was something really specialized, like a really specialized topic. But I wanted to be able to just talk to anybody. And, um, you know, I think it's worked out better. I think um, having your name out there is. So, um, so you, what you're saying is having libertarian podcast review might narrow the scope of my my reach. I get it, Pete. I get it. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that when when I read when I read the t title "Libertarian Podcast Review," I'm pretty much have an idea what the show's about. <laughs> right, uh, I've changed a little bit of myself. By the way, when you talk about Tom, I did a, a I went back through all his episodes and I did an eight uh, episode uh, series of reviewing his show. And Ian Anderson, as an example, was number two uh, right. guest that he had, which is um, you know. Uh, Michael famous. Bolden was number one. Michael Bolden was number one. Do you, by the way, do you know who the most popular guest he's had on the show is? Michael Malice. It was a uh, no, it was Scott Horton, actually. Oh, OK. And then uh, and Scott the Horton. Remember, you told me you said earlier um, I, I had five people watching my show and, and you came on. Scott Horton was the one who taught me that. He said, don't turn anyone down. He goes, you never know who you're going to reach. If there's yeah. three people, three people listening you never know who you're going to reach. You don't know whether you're going to influence the next, you know, Ron Paul, or you're going to have, you, you possibly could have your biggest supporter, you know, your biggest financial supporter Yeah, uh, that, come out of that. So have you, and you don't have to say names, but, but I'm sure going, doing some of these shows, uh, it's been, it's been an hour of cringe for you as well, though, or have you not had any bad experiences? I, no, I, I, I mean, I think the worst podcast, <laughs> I've recorded a podcast um, in the last six months that I didn't release. I just didn't. I wasn't comfortable releasing it. Um, I've. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast where I've like regretted doing it. You know, it's just it, there's always something to talk about with so, with somebody. Yeah. You know, even if it just turns into me, you know, giving, delivering a sermon or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I've. I, I had a. An not an attorney, but I had a, a reporter, a mainstream reporter on back in the day who wrote a book about um, the Bundy Ranch. Uh -huh. And okay. I'm pretty sure it was him. And we ended up I, I ended up going at him like he you know, he started defending the mainstream media and everything like that. And I'm just like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. That ain't happening <laughs> on this show, bud. And, and I never, you know me, you've listened to my yep. show. When do I ever argue with, with guests? I was just going to say that that's one thing I just don't see you doing uh, or even, you know, and, and I know like Malice has gotten, he's talked about this and you probably have too, where you have someone on, uh, he just had 
Chink Uygron, and Uyghur or cool. whatever you pronounce his name. And uh, I, you know, I listened to it and I actually stopped about two thirds of the way through. Cause I was just like, it's kind of, he's just full of it. Um, but, and people I'm sure are mad because malice isn't pushing back, but that's not the show. It's not a debate show. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, you're quite, you do a really good job. What is your prep for bringing a, a, a person on? And is it different from, um, when you're doing your book reading stuff to, you know, a, a bigger intellectual guest or, or do you do much prep on these? It depends. It just depends who it is. You know, if I, if I'm interviewing Ron Paul, I have a list of questions and I stick to the list of questions. Um, if I'm, I mean, Thomas 777 is just like, hey, Thomas, how are you doing? We're going to talk about this today. Go. Wind and up, and yeah. it's basically, yeah, it's basically like interviewing Scott Horton. Right. You know, you just, you sit back, smoke, you know, and then just let, <laughs> let them go. Right. Um, but, you know, there are like, if, um, if like Paul and I, Paul Fahrenheit and I are reading Yaki. I will go back and I will read over the passage we're doing and I'll take notes for it. And if I think, because it, something, you know, it's like Imperium by Yaki is really important to me. It's become like my, my favorite political text. So when, when I put that information out there, I want to try and let people understand what I'm hearing, what I'm, you know, what I'm feeling when I read this. So, yeah. Great. So you've made some changes over the last few years in your life, Pol politics, marriage, kind of moving around. Um, why don't you tell me and uh, a few other things? That, so I, you know, I've listened to you so much. I feel like I know you. So I'm going to and we're going to pick and prod it. One of these days, one of these days we'll get together. I, well, so here's the deal. I, I live out in the West, you know, the I know. piece of shit out here. Uh, but I'm going to be making some moves uh, someday. We're planning on moving out your direction more. But in the meantime, we'll take some trips out there. My wife and I definitely uh, want to come see people and, and, and obviously meet up. And, and tell me, let's go into that a little bit. So um, what's your experience like meeting fans of the show or people? Because I know, you know, you were consolidated in the libertarian movement and you're not so much now. Is there a community that's kind of for I'm not I'm on the edge of the libertarians, but I'm not. But I'm you know, and how are you still accepted in that party? Well, I mean, when I go to libertarian events, if I do go, um, everything's fine. No one really. I mean, I think I went to Childerberg this year and, you know, Childerberg is mostly, like, I would say, libertarian, um, two way and crypto. Um, I, there was only one person who gave me like a really shitty look as I was leaving and everything <laughs> like that. You know, it's like it just gave me a look like and I'm just like, eh, OK, um, yeah, I, I, I was going to bring that up, Andy. Um who, who's Amron? American, Re American Renaissance. Um, oh. So my first foray into like, I guess what you would call dissident right politics, or I mean, just basically, um, you know, the politics of uh, it, <laughs> forbidden politics is um, uh, I think it was last month. Yeah, it was last month or August. Yeah, it was last month. It was August. Um, American Renaissance was having that's Jared Taylor's organization. Okay. Um, oh, I heard you mention that. Okay. Yeah, they were. They had a conference in Nashville, and I wasn't going. I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go at all. Um, but Thomas said he was going to go, and so I was like, "All right, I haven't met, hung out with Thomas and everything. We've done fifty plus episodes together. Uh, we text all the time. So you know, I had a chance to go and hang out, and you know, there were a lot of people there who like." you know, knew who I knew who I was, listened to the show. Keith Woods was there and, you know, he was like, I really, you know, I like, you know, I like your show, especially the episodes with Thomas. 
And um, I got to meet um, um, Greg, what's his name, from Amran. Um, well, he has so many, he goes by so many names. Um, <laughs> but I got to meet all these really cool people, and everybody was just so cool. You know, everybody dressed to the, you know, you had to, you can't go to any event there or any of the uh, meetings without like a, a jacket and tie. So, you know, we were, we had a good time. And the first night we all went down into Nashville and partied, but that, you know, that was just a great event with great people. Everybody was really cool, really good conversations. I got to hang out with Z man, um, with Christopher Z man and from the Z from, from the Z blog. And we had some great, I mean, we're only a couple of years apart. So we had some really good conversations and, um, yeah, I mean, everyone I, ha I had a chance. I met Mark Weber, who's somebody who I've been reading his articles since 1998. Never thought I would get a chance to meet him uh, from the Inter Institute for Historical Review. And uh, I'm, I, I met a bunch of people who knew who I was. And I always it's always a good it, it's always good. I mean, never I've never really had any problems anywhere I've went for anything. Usually. But what's funny is. The events usually people know me the least is any Ron Paul event. Mm. It's funny, like Ron Paul, if it's a Ron Paul sponsored thing, I can go there and there'll be people who know me, but I can pretty much get lost in the crowd. And that's pretty cool. Are you ever worried about, uh, and I, I know the answer probably already, about getting tainted with like Jared Taylor? He's, he probably doesn't have the best name recognition. Is there any concern about uh, that rubbing off on you or do you just don't really give a shit? Well, I mean, I, I don't really care anymore. I mean, I, I'm not going to have Jared on the show just because I, I don't. There are some things I don't agree with him on, um, and I don't want those things to come up and then possibly get in an argument or something, you know, get get heated. But also there's just it seems like whenever Jared goes on a podcast, that podcast gets targeted by everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Oh, so. When did yeah. you, uh, when growing up, um, did you have, with politics in your home? I mean, so what point in your life did you start to get into politics? Um, like JFK was like my grand, my grandmother had a, a, a portrait of JFK on the wall. That's my mom's mom. Um, my dad, I, I was born in Germany. My dad was in the military and my dad really didn't have politics up until um, I really didn't know what my dad's politics were up until Reagan. And Reagan was like basically a hero in the home. So, um, you know, now I get to look back and see just exactly how cringe <laughs> Reagan was right. on a lot on a lot of important things. But that was it. It was like during the 80s. I, it was um, hearing about Reagan and, yeah, we're a Reagan household. And then. The 90s came around and I started like being in bands and playing in music and I was completely apolitical. I didn't really care about what was going on uh, through the whole thing. And 9-11 basically brought me um, into politics and you know, I started paying attention, looking at foreign policy, things like that. And then 2007, Ron Paul, and then, you know, just ran from there. Yeah. So uh, growing up, I mean, when you when you've got these... Uh you say, you know, you're in a band, there's not much politics around. Uh, do you think it's m more political for kids nowadays than like it was for us? Because I, I don't remember too much. Oh, and even yeah. then, it's like, I lived in a college town. And you know, my friends were their parents were all uh, lefties, or Democrats, and my parents weren't. So there was, but you know, it didn't really seem to matter as much. I mean, what, what do you think that perception and, and the reason is now? 
I mean, the internet, the internet just makes everything, all the information's right there. And, um, you know, propagandists use the, use the internet, use social media well to, uh, make everyone political. You know, it's, you know, Yaki, Yaki talked about in Imperium how, you know, the average person shouldn't care about politics, shouldn't care about economics, shouldn't care about, shouldn't care about, that should just be something that's on the periphery. They should be concentrating on family, on the home and, um, you know, and, you know, work. And basically when you have, yeah, he talked about when you have a total state, every bit of your life becomes political. And I mean, I think that's where we are right now. I think I think a lot of people do a really good job of resisting it. I do a pretty good job of resisting it once I'm when I'm not doing this, yeah. when I'm not talking about it. You know, I'm like, like, oh, the, the cattle out, you know, the neighbor's cattle look great and everything. Oh, I need to I need to contact my buddy because I need some eggs from his chicken house and stuff. I just concentrate on stuff like that. Um, but that's really what we should be concentrating on. I mean, the average farmer at the time of the founding you know, didn't really care about the article, the Articles of Confederation, or the the fact that it was you know basically scrapped for the Constitution. They were just busy living their lives, and it's the way people should people should be. But everything everything has to be about politics now, and you know we live in that absolute age that we live in the age of absolute politics, where there's nothing in your life that can't be made political yeah yeah absolutely so uh exactly true and and i've 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 mentioned this on a a stream with you once before and and you don't have to remember but it it came to i remember hearing a guy that i used to listen to when i lived in colorado talk about like when he was he was older than me so you know going to school he was going to college he was uh going to the football games and you know the other ones were protesting right you know the, the left and the right the difference was he just had a normal life going about his business and the ones that were really involved in politics were way too busy to do other things. And that's kind of the generic take, which is, you know, the right's going to work and the other ones are, are not or whatever it right. is. And so uh, I, I think you're right. And, and the most important thing, look, as we know, politics isn't going to leave us alone. But when we focus on our kids, our wives, our family, that's the most healthy thing to do. And I think everyone is so over the top on all this. Is there a way that you would suggest trying to remove yourself from the politics. Um, and, and then like, if you run into friends that are way over the top with this, that you don't agree with, is there suggestions for that? I mean, I don't really know. It's people just seem to be so caught up in politics now that a lot of, when you get together, that's all a lot of people want to talk about. Um, being not having, you know, my wife and I not having kids, we aren't around other family. It's not so much that we aren't around families that have kids, but when we get together, we don't have that thing in common to talk right. about. So then people ask me what I do, and automatically, as soon as people ask me what I do, there's going to the politics is going to start flying. So, um, I mean, I really think that people should just. I don't know. People do a really good job when I when I go to church of not talking about it. That's good. That's 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 positive, right? Uh, You've recently gone back to church. Uh, Is that is that the the? Well, I mean, I um, yeah, it it was. I was away for a very long time because I was raised Roman Catholic. I went graduated Catholic school, and 
fell away. And then in my late twenties, I started going to a Baptist church and I was baptized into a Baptist church. And I spent like five years. Yeah. I, I, I attended seminary. I did you know, a, a, um, a Protestant seminary and the, in the amount of infighting and the amount of just uh, schism protest, you know, protest splintering, just war on me to the point where I was like, I just don't, I can't do this anymore. So, yeah, I, I just, I ended up getting married and, and, um, at that time, right around that time and moving away. And so I lost touch with my church family at that point. And I didn't start going to church again until I met my, my wife, um, my, my wife now. And, we were looking, we were living in Auburn for a while, but we knew we were going to be leaving. So we were just, we just found a church that we were happy with and we'd go there, but we knew we weren't going to stay. And we've been looking for a church here. But in the meantime, while we were looking for like a, a Baptist church, cause that's like literally like 90% of the churches in Alabama, in rural Alabama <laughs> yeah. are going to be Baptist. There is a small Catholic church here. And I started going back. I started going to mass during the week there. I went to confession for the first time in decades and uh, took communion for the, for the first time in decades. And um, that's something that I'm probably going to stick doing while it's a very, very, very small church. I mean, you can imagine it's not a lot of Catholics in, in rural Alabama. Right. Um, so for community's sake, you know, finding a, a Baptist church so we can be around people and, um, you know, get to know people and build trust and, try to build community, become a part of the community. Um, while we do that, then I'll still be going to the Catholic church during the week so that I can, uh, go to confession and, uh, and, you know, partake in the Lord's supper. So did yeah. you, uh, did you ever turn like where you were a non-believer at all, or were you just transferring from kind of one religion trying to find your way? Um, I mean, I was, uh, during the, the 2010s from, I guess from like 11 to 14, I, I studied Islam, uh, not Islam, um, Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And then there was a, when I was living in Atlanta, there was a big Buddhist temple there. And I started going there because I had learned how to, I'd started meditating in like 2007, 2008. And I was like, oh, I want to see how they, you know, how these, you know, hardcore, you know, I mean, like there were monks there who were from Tibet. And I was like, okay, I want to see how they meditate and everything. So I went there for a while and I studied there for a while. But um, I mean, that's not a, I, I don't really, I kind of, I kind of consider it to be kind of, kind of cringe when Westerners and especially Americans adopt Eastern religions. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and not, and not, not only Hinduism and Kabbalah. other, other, other religions that have Eastern in the title too. Yeah. Um, but the, um, you know, it, it just really, took, I needed somebody to, um, I knew when I was, when I was single living in Auburn before I met my wife that I should be going to church and everything, but it was just, I, I didn't want to go alone. Did, did you, you know? when you, before you met your wife or you're thinking like, Hey, this is, I want to find a spouse, uh, was church and religion kind of a, a, a thought that you like, Hey, this is something, someone at least open-minded to this or was it like they need to be or not or was this a, a 
a kind of a parameter in your search? Well, I mean, I uh, in between being married, um, in, in between marriages, I dated a couple people, and definitely the people who didn't, you know, had no interest in church. There were a couple that had no interest in church, and that was, um, you know, that was something that. <laughs> It's kind of what I wanted, you know. I wanted, I wanted to find someone to, you know, to share my values with, and you know, over especially over the last couple of years, last you know two and a half years, my values have strengthened and um, become more, more strength, more. I'm trying looking for the right word. Um, concrete, maybe mm. they've just unbendable. I'm not willing to bend on them at all. And, you know, so it, it, it sort of got to the point where I was like, I got to meet somebody who, who shares that at least has, has that in, in common. And, and I did. And that was, uh, that was great. Then it's just, you know, a matter of trying to find a church and yeah, <laughs> what, what, what all of that entails. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've had similar, probably different time spans from you marriage, you know, dating and another one. And there's that wasteland where you're trying to figure out what's going on in between and, you know, may not be the best person or whatever, but I think that's, that's also important if you come out of it. And, and you know, this is one thing I do try I'm not a trad con type at all. I don't really know what that even means, but I'm very um, pro finding that right person and, you know, sharing your, your specific values, that underlying values of, especially if it's religion, I think that's important. Uh, then you can build off because shit's going to hit the fan in your life. It's not always going to be easy, you know, between the two of you. I just had some stuff here. Someday I'll talk about it with my, my law firm. And uh, if I didn't have a great wife in this whole prospect, I mean, we would, it would ruin us. So um, that's very important. And, and I think it's one plus we have kids and it's, it's good to show that as well. So one, I just want to say congrats, you know, for where you're oh, at. And I, I, yeah, I like to see this and, and I see it as a positive growth, Pete, with you. Um, not that I, I even know you enough to say it, but I, I think it's, it's, it's always good when people are doing, I think, affirmative things in their lives and, um, showing them for, to other people. Well, do, do, do you, do you mean, feel that with your fan base? Yeah. I mean, I, I've made a lot of mistakes and, and I've made public mistakes sure. too. And that, you know, just the loss of trust. People don't realize when you're going through personal stuff that, you know, yeah. One thing about going through personal stuff and doing it on, tw especially on like social media and on Twitter, <laughs> is you you quickly find out who's been waiting to celebrate, yeah, you going through going through hardship, and you you know, you find out who, even people you haven't met before, you find out who your fr your real friends are. You know you right. you find out you know who's really on your side, and that's more that's more important because we're not going to get everything right in life. We're going to be wrong a lot of times. And, you know, there has to be that ability to come back from it and say sorry, you know, especially if no one, especially if no one was hurt, no one was hurt significantly. You know, we, we make, we make poor decisions sometimes and we have, uh, you know, a lack of discernment. And that's probably one of the things that I've tried to work on the hardest in the last like two years and last 18 months to, you know, since like begin the beginning of last year is just to have better discernment about my decisions, the words that come out of my mouth, uh, my associations, things like that. I mean, I still get shit on for my associations. I still have people who are like, I see comments is like, 
yeah, I mean, but Pete talks to Thomas seven seven seven. It's like is he is he troublesome? I don't I don't know enough. I just I heard him on your stuff, and I've heard like I just heard cool, him on Mark Claire's. But I, I mean, he's like one of the coolest people I've ever met. We hung out. I mean, he's um, you know, he has he, he has um, he has a bone disease which causes him to sometimes walk with a cane. He's you know he's frail, but he's probably one of the smartest people I know. Um, he's very charming. He's very, um, uh, to, to use an ancient term, square. You know, he, he's like a square, you know, and um, he's gone through his own troubles, too. And, you know, I respect him for being able to pull himself out of, uh, you know, what was hell. If you listen to Mark's episode, yeah. you know, you know what he went through. And just meeting him and hanging out with him and just seeing how he carries himself. I mean, he's an inspiration for, for somebody who who went through all that. You know, and it's and when people judge him because, you know, he's you know, unapologetic about being a fan of the National Socialist regime in in the 20th century in Germany. It's like, I, I don't care. You know, it's like, I mean. I'm I'm not a fan of the Bolsheviks, but I've read their, you know, I've read communist literature on my on my podcast and probably agreed with 80 percent of it. And, you know, if people want to judge me for that, I really don't care. You know, so, I mean, it's just we've we're at we're at a stage where people are judged by what they read and what they, you know, what opinions they have, no matter whether those opinions could ever materialize into, um, you know, become reality or not. You know, this country is never going to be a national socialist country. And people who, I think people who are national socialists actually know that, you know, they just look yeah. at it and they're like, okay, this was, this was something that was trying to, this was trying to do something that was, um, was something that I agree with. And if that makes them bad people, well, I mean, that's your opinion. It's, I don't think it's, I think what makes someone a bad person is um, not so much what they believe, not so much what they believe, but how they act and what their, um, what their motivations are. But yeah, but what the interesting part is you can't, you can't be in politics or whatnot now and not demonize the other side. So the right goes, they see something happen instantly. It's commie. Uh, you know, the, the daily wire is, is putting out, uh, you know, non-woke chocolate, the other side, everyone's a Nazi. Uh, so it's the only way that you really go about this way, Pete. So, um, you know, you gotta, you, you can't well, have and, nuance. Well, and I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, when it comes to what I believe I am, yeah, I, I would. I I think I'm right wing. I mean, I'm anti-egalitarian. I'm uh, pro hierarchy. Um, I'm pro punishment. Um, I'm pro using the state to crush people who do evil, because I think it's the greatest weapon. You don't leave if you're on the battlefield and you've lost your weapon, and you're, um, you know somebody the, the best weapon a storm you know on during world war ii is laying on the ground i'm going to pick that weapon up and use it to defeat my enemies and right yeah. now the greatest thing to, de to defeat um child mutilators and child groomers and pedophiles and rapists is the power of the state 
It's not libertarianism. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I will argue that all day long. Live and let live is not going to going to defeat people who won't let you live and let live. And since you know libertarians don't realize that, I mean, maybe they have these American Revolution type of fantasies in the back of their mind, but you know, no one's picking up their guns. What, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to get into a big debate with you on this because I don't know that I necessarily disagree either. What is uh, your, what do you think about national divorce? First of all, just as a concept well, and any practicality. Well, I think it's the perfect answer. I think people should be able to go off and um, people should be able to go off and form polities in whichever way they, they can um, to match up to their values. I mean, I don't want, I don't want, you know, like ghetto blacks moving into Amish country and telling Amish people what to do. What do you think of, because I was, I was going down a route the other day and I started to think about um, the 14th amendment, you know, Brian McClanahan talks about the incorporation a lot. And if I'm thinking, I was like, you know, if we just remove that, it's almost like soft uh, divorce. Tyler, in a sense. can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think you'll ever see anarchism in your lifetime? No. Uh, so, do you so, think Do you think you'll see anar Do you think there'll be anarchism within the next two hundred years? No. I, I no. Then what 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 do you think is the point of talking about anarchism? I, I'm just because here's here's where I I kind of differ on this. One, um, I'm a, I'm a realist as far as my life. Right. As an example, I may not think that the government should be involved in uh, marriage. But I'm a I'm a family law attorney, and I don't go and tell my clients, "Hey, uh, you know what would be great is if we didn't have," no, because it, it doesn't make sense. I have to live in the world that I am, and I understand that. Now I'm I grew up as a right winger. I'm sick of all that. I don't want anything more to do with it. I don't, you know what the best thing? Well, the they're not, but they're not right wingers, so that's like <laughs> I, I, I I understand, Pete. So yeah. I have ideals in my mind, much like the religion. And I don't want to compare it to religion because that's obviously a problem, but. Um, you know, I, I, I have ideals for what I want to be, you know, for my spiritual life. It's not always practical or it's not always happening, but it doesn't mean that I don't wouldn't prefer this to be the case. Same with my politics, in a sense. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm just giving up or maybe I, you know, who I vote for or whatnot. I, you know, try to deal with things locally, but it doesn't mean that philosophically this isn't something that I would prefer uh, if it's ever going to happen. Now, what am I really doing about it? I really, I have a podcast that I like to make sure. jokes. We have fun. And I, the best thing that Libertarian and you did for me, though, was um, helps me with the media. And what I mean by that is it used to be, not even the media, it's mostly the, the, the parties. You know, uh, your party comes out, they tell you uh, Bosnia is bad. Next thing you know, uh, this one is good. And you're just going along the route to what it is. And I was caught up in that. And when I started to follow libertarian stuff more. My ideas were, I'm not listening to a party. I'm going to start making up my own mind. So for me, that's, that's given me some insight. Now, what does that really practically mean for me? I don't know, Pete, I'm, I'm out here, out here in a wasteland. Well, I mean, I'm not attacking you. This is, this, fine. this is, this is for, um, for the benefit of anybody who's watching or listening to this. I mean, what good what good is consent worrying about consent when the people who rule over you don't worry about it? 
look, I, I understand that. But how am I also going to live in my community, right? Right. So I, I mean, I, I'm not out there. Well, I mean, if, you... if DEA wanted to come in and raid your house and um, take your guns. Oh, Pete, I'd yell, get a warrant. And, <laughs> and, and your local sheriff wanted to stand in their way and say, you're not allowed to do that here. Would that be something, um, would that be him doing his job and maybe even doing something a little bit heroic? I would feel so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does he, does his job allow him to do things where, um, he doesn't always have the consent of the person who, um, the consent, I mean, of, uh, I mean, it, it, or is there sometimes is somebody innocent going to get hurt by, by law enforcement? by yeah. the state, by anything like that. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that we're at the point in history where we can exist without law enforcement? I don't think well, we're seeing that it's uh, devastating to a lot of cities, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's all. I, I mean, that's it. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I mean, that's the practicality of it. We're not look. I, I totally. And by the way, uh, this is uh, even something you talk about, there were, there I'm just doing this because I'm on a libertarian podcast <laughs> and libertarians want to talk about consent and they want to talk about morality. And that's fine. That's fine. I mean, but the fact that you're the fact that the people that don't like you, that would like to remove you from this planet, um, don't care about morality and but do you, you care about morality? Yeah, of course I care about okay, morality. So then how, do, yeah. how does that dictate your actions? I understand um, the other side, but I mean, we're not just going out there and, you know. Well, it, it, it dictates it in this way is that if I had the power to do so, if I had the power of a Ron DeSantis or a Joe Biden, these people would no longer be walking the streets. I would crush them under my feet. I mean, what I would that? just, what I would just, like? what does that look like? It looks like, yeah. um, going to New Mexico and, um, removing people from Indian reservations and now using those Indian reservations to house these people with an electric fence around it. And they, that's the way they get to live the rest of their lives because of all the damage that they've done. And if that makes me, if that makes me a statist, it's also going to make me the hero, a hero in a lot of people's eyes. Sure. And the people sure. who and the people who scream about consent use the term statist and use the term morality. Go fuck yourselves. I'd rather be uh, <laughs> I'd rather do the right thing than stand by and just scream morality and consent from the sidelines. Do you think that so uh, are you against due process in this case? I mean, because you're, you're just saying at this point, I'm I'm taking a shotgun approach to literally uh, i mean does, to, does anderson cooper need a trial well well it depends on what i mean look i i would say i mean so. all of these people have lied us all the people who lied us into the wars do they do they get a trial i mean we have the video footage of them doing it for for years and years so that's not going to happen though we know that right well it will if we get if we get the right people in charge who who was that who's that gonna be who who do you see out there that's gonna know, be man. doing this I, I don't know 
I don't know. So I, I tend it's going to have think... to be someone who comes out of nowhere because you can't have someone like me who, you know, I run for office and it's obvious what <laughs> where my feelings are. I say them all the time. It's going to have to be someone. It's like talking to the some of the guys from Christian, the Christian nationalist guys. Um, they realize that if they're going to get their quote unquote Protestant Franco, it's going to have to be someone who comes out of nowhere and probably just basically surprises everyone. Do you think that's going to happen though? I, it, to me, it always um, feels like that's as it's as that's as likely as um, the libertarian moment. Well, I, I and I agree with you, but I think that what what we're seeing now is because left we're seeing left wing authoritarianism grow so much that they're there eventually is, I mean, I don't know if it happens in our lifetime or anything. Um, or if I was texting with Scott the other day and I told him, um, it's either going to be collapse. It's going to be, I think we're either looking at collapse left or right. right. There's three things, collapse left or right wing libertarianism. If we have collapse, the only, I, I mean, the only way we survive that is through like secession is, you know, breaking it up and having people, um, it's one of the things I'm trying to talk about locally here, trying to get industry back in here, manufacturing, um, into the, into Alabama, especially, but the, um, I think we're, we're only headed in, in one direction. And I think it's, I think we're living in an age of authoritarianism and I think that's the only way we go forward and it's so, either going to be left or right. So, okay. So that, and that to me is very interesting because, um, yes, I would like to not have that, right? I would like to be able to. Of course, to do, do I don't think any of us. I, I think I, every one of us would just like to fucking grill, right? I mean, that's exactly. What we, yeah, we want to just want to live our lives in peace and not have anyone fuck with us. But so you're you're basically saying, look, I'm this egg on top of a, a hen house, and I'm either going to roll one. It's only two options, right? Roll one way or the other way. That's yeah. that's what you're indicating. Yeah, libertarianism is not going to win. Libertarian. Libertarians holding it. What's uh, what libertarianism can't it? win? I mean, because they're I, not willing. They're not yet willing to use. They're, they're not willing to use the only legitimate force that exists in the world right now, and that's the state. And when I say it's the only legitimate force, that doesn't mean ex metaphysically. I think it's the only legitimate force. It's the only legitimate force that most of the population looks at and says, "Okay, that's legitimate." That's why I'm one of these people who's like. Um, you know, move to a small town and, you know, run for office, become, it's more important. I'd rather have like someone who has my values run for sheriff than run for mayor because, you know, a sheriff is, can do, can do a lot more. Uh, the, the I'd like problem, to have you're, you're still going to have a, and here's the, here's the problem with that is um, uh, a prime example out in Washington, um, a sheriff, there was a mag, uh, a meg limit and um they had changed it and uh, there was a shop owner that he wasn't quite sure if this was legit or not and the uh sheriff came out and said we're not enforcing it don't worry about it so he sold a bunch of mags over like 10 or what i don't know what the law was out there right the uh, uh attorneys general then files a consumer protection action against this uh this uh owner of this um this munitions or selling off firearms and whatever and it's a fine of like $2,500 per magazine. It comes out to millions and millions of dollars. So what he's essentially done is eliminated this guy as if you're criminally prosecuting him. So you have a sheriff. And so I don't know what the solution is other than I'm just telling you a story of a right. sheriff did the right thing. And uh, you still have crap that uh, is, is in Olympia. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, but I'm talking about, you have to, things have to be as small as possible. I live in a town of 2,400 people. 
and there's more ch there's there there's multitudes times chickens here and cattle than there is people um we don't we don't have problems here you know one of the reasons we don't have problems too is because this county doesn't have any federal roads going through it hmm. and you know we basically are not when I when I go to other parts of the state and I tell people where I live, they have no idea where I live, and that was done on purpose. Yeah, it was like my own personal secession, where I could come here and I could basically not live off the grid. I mean, I have electricity, obviously, I have everything. But you know, one statement I would like to make is that there's this common trope amongst midwits that um, if you grow the state. Um, any power that you, any way you use to grow the state, that'll be used against you in the future. Well, the left is doing that right now. So are you just letting them, unless you have a libertarian plan to stop the left um, from doing what they're doing right now, which there isn't one, um, then something needs to be done now. And you worry about the future when you get to the future. I mean, so is this kind of a like, like as an example, uh, Trump's being prosecuted like crazy, which mm -hmm. is kind of the, the you know, the, the left is going after him for whatever reason. Um, do you feel that the answer then should be, and I've said it should be, that uh, local DAs, they need to start going after um, the other side until you almost have a, a point of mutually assured destruction that they maybe pull themselves back? Um. I don't see that happening. Well, I mean, the only well, you don't see it happening, but is that a is that a possible? I think the right counter? would. I think the right would do it. The right would pull back before the left would. The left's not going to pull back on anything. I mean, you can say say what you want about like right wing power and starting wars and stuff like that. Um, yeah, sure, they were mutilating kids by sending them overseas, but the left was right on board with them. I mean, they weren't, they were not, it wasn't like they were standing right. up against the wars. It was just the right was in, was in power. Um, but th was the right in power? Who really, I mean, if anything, the Trump presidency taught us that we don't see the power. The power is in, is unspoken, is, I mean, Trump couldn't get anything done. You know, people, I, I tell people that I tell Trump people that I'm like, Trump was in there for four years. He couldn't get anything done. He goes, well, he was stopped every turn. He was stopped. He was accused of something. I'm like, yeah, by the people who have the power. Right. The president doesn't have power, though. I mean, does the Congress have power? Does I mean, an old lady whose face is falling off, does she have power? I mean, these guys, these people who um no, this is this is something that exists outside of this political, you know, the facade that we see. Politics is the facade. There's something else controlling this power. And that that's what needs to be addressed. And Trump mentioned it. And as soon as he mentioned it, they immediately went on the attack. You know, call it the deep state or call it, you know, the un the unelected bureaucracy, um, whatever you want to call it. But they're the ones who are in charge. That needs to be destroyed. How does that get destroyed? I don't know that it can be. I think it might have to destroy itself. But I think the the only logical 
thing for people to do at this point is localism. Um, localism, taking care of yourself, building up your, you know, getting a piece of property or something that you can grow food on and maybe moving to a place where it has really small, where you can actually influence, uh, influence the power that's there. And, um, you know, maybe even get elected to your school board. And, you know, I mean, I, I know that libertarians and anarchists want to scream, just homeschool. Well, yeah, but 95% of the population isn't homeschooling. They're going to become progressive soldiers. And in 10 years, your nice kid who you've taught that politics is immoral, well, they're going to kill them. They're going to kill them or they're going to enslave them completely. What would you suggest then? Uh, so my kids weren't homeschooled. They were they they went out there in the wild. And I must say, at some point, I expect them to be uh, put in jail for thought crimes because they're very sure. much um, they, they're 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 they push back on authority and everything. So but they're good kids. What is it? What do you think is a solution? Having them out there, maybe trying to uh, have them, you know, hardened against the, the 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 bad schools themselves or protected at home in the homeschool thing? Uh, in the meantime, um, I think that homeschool parents should, I think people should, if they can, homeschool their kids, but they are still, if they're property owners, they are still paying for local schools. I think they should run for school board and get together a bunch of like-minded people and run for school board and basically take over the school board, kick out, change the curriculum and, you know, institute something that looks more like, you know, what you know, we would want the curriculum to be. You know? I, I, I would agree. I, I had a question for you here. So mm -hmm. you, look, Pete, you, you went back, we were talking about taking politics out and then, then look where we end up here. But what well, because politics is, I mean, po I, one thing I learned from reading Carl Schmidt is politics is, I mean, it's everything. It's, it, it's, it's a theology. It's, it's basically uh, politics is our, na is the national religion. And, it's a constant fight. It's a constant battle going back and forth, which is why libertarians are just basically corner. I mean, they're not even corner men. They never get at, they never get into the ring. If you're not in the ring fighting and using the power and using all the, I mean, I would say this libertarians and anarchists, I think most of them, the ones who don't want to use political power are some of the biggest pieces of shit I've ever met in my life. First of all, you're immoral. OK, you say that you, can, you you have an idea of how to create this world where there's going to be less human suffering, less war. There'll be more prosperity. Um, all of these things you say, yet you won't use You're going to allow death and destruction to go on because you're too fucking too fucking cowardly to pick up, you know, to get the power of the state and actually change it and institute a libertarian order. Fuck you. Literally, fuck you. You allow this shit to happen because you have all these great ideas that you think work and you're not willing to fucking get them done. Fuck you. That's why I don't that's why I don't call myself a libertarian. I don't care about consent. When I hear a libertarian talk about consent, all I think is age of consent. <laughs> that's true. Uh, what do you do you then agree with uh, the the Michael Knowles and a few of the others that say they they put they say that the reason the GOP is the state that they are is because they are too influenced by libertarians or that the libertarian movement has somehow pushed this, this on us. I think that Republicans are influenced by neoliberalism 
And I think neoliberalism used a lot of the worst ideas of libertarianism to basically, you know, oh, you know, we have no, there's no tariffs, you know, tariffs are, that's just going to raise the prices of everything. It's like, okay, so now China makes everything that you have, including your pharmaceuticals. So now you're, you have a, a state that, could possibly be genociding a certain group of people. Um, Patrick McFarland at Libertarian Institute thinks that that's way overblown. Um, I tend to agree with him, but th- I mean, this you is argued a- it on Tim Pool, is that right? I argued it on Tim Pool. I think it, I, I think I, I think I still agree with that that position that I argued. Um, but do you really want a country that is of you know, basically atheists to? you know, who have their, their, their only, their only morality is in their, whatever their, what, 15,000 year history is based in to control your economy. I mean, Steve Bannon talks about, talked about this in War for Eternity, where he was in Harvard Business School in in the 1980s. And Harvard Business School was the one who was pushing uh, you know who who is basically going to be um, graduating all the the future CEOs that you want to send all your manufacturing to China because in China they can manufacture it cheaper and even shipping it back over here it would still be cheaper. I mean that I would rather have my. I mean we, we had a, a. I mean for what two and a half years now you drive by a car lot and you don't really see new cars on it you see used cars because there's a quote unquote chip shortage because they're made in Taiwan. Why can't chips be made in Alabama? Well, so it, it, and then by the way, I'm not an economist. I don't even play one. Um, I'm not, I'm not either. I think think economics is fake and gay and anyone (laughs) and anyone who wants to base their society around economics. uh, I think you're, you're in, you're, you're insane. So I, that, I, that's, I heard, I heard, um, Cyprian, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. Uh, I heard Cyprian say once, uh, when asked about eco- economics, he said, economics is everything. Is that not, and maybe I misunderstood him, but is that not weird? Uh, is that not uh, part of the equation? Well, economics should just be like interact. What we're doing now is just interaction. Um, saying that, um, but the whole point of, Oh, we, we have to have, um, you know, we have to have a free market of, uh, we have to have a free market, no tariffs, no, no. Um, I mean, that's labor too is involved in that. So, I mean, I, I love when, when ANCAP say, well, no, you know, in ANCAPistan, you couldn't just have people, you know, everything's private property. No one will be moving everywhere they want. You have a free market on labor. I guarantee you the companies in existence will be will ha, will, will have destroy that in five seconds because they're going to want whatever labor they want. And if that labor is 2000 miles away, they're going to figure out a way to be like, fuck your private property. I'm getting the late. I'm getting the cheapest labor possible to come in here. That's what they do now. It will happen. Then. That's another argument I love that, that libertarians and ANCAPs make. You're you're just describing an you're just describing a problem now. Yeah. And why wouldn't that be? That's not an argument. If it was if it's a problem now, why wouldn't it be a problem then? And if it's going to be a problem, then why wouldn't you try to figure out how to solve it now? 
But oh, this, it's because it's all the state. Another libertarianism is just Christianity without Christ, and the state is the is Satan. You blame everything on the state instead of blaming it on human nature or blaming it on fallen man, which is what you should be doing. And then you realize that there's with, with fallen man, you can't just have everybody running crazy and loose. And, you know, yeah. how, how do you feel about your um, your documentary now? Oh, I think it does a really good job of proving that um, just very few sections of that actually are applicable. Um, Tom Woods talking about secession, talking about decentralization. I think those are uh, important. I think the parts about um, covenant communities where Ryan McMakin talked about how you um, would be giving up some of your rights so that you could come together with people of like mind to be safe. I love that he said giving up some of your rights because that's exactly what you'd be doing. That's exactly what people would have to do in order to be safe. And to be in, or else you're you're in chaos. You're in you're in chaos. I mean, it's um, the documentary is great. I think it's. Uh, I think it was another thing it shows is that like um, Chiron, this anarchist city in Mexico, yeah. that just happens to exist at the whim of the Mexican government, and they can destroy it anytime they want. Um, j- just goes to show that is that you know. If you do have a, um, you know, why is why does Liechtenstein work? Liechtenstein works one because they have a re- they have really good leadership. They have uh, incredible leadership, and two, they're in the middle of a Western country. They're not. I mean, the only country that really could invade them um, without like an all-out scale of war is Germany, because that's the company that immediately is around their borders. So I think there's a lot in that documentary that's very, uh, very useful. But I also think there's a lot of cautionary tales in it. Uh, what, let me, I got a few little oddball questions here, but sure. it pertains, I think, to uh, exactly this conversation that we're having here, which is one, you're, you're, I, I just say you're Pete. You're, you're exactly you say what you feel, and you've made changes in your life, and uh, you still feel. What What does it mean to be? And I don't mean this in the um, Matt Walsh type of thing, but what does it mean to be a man? Um, that's just a really weird question. I mean, I, I immediately want to go to metaphysics and say, I mean, the first, you know, our first rule is to glorify God. And that's the first thing that man is supposed to man is supposed to do. Um, it's also supposed to get married and have kids. I did the first one. I didn't do the second one. Uh, I failed in that. Um, but I've taken care of. You're supposed to take care of the women and keep them safe that are under your stead. And I think I've done a really good job of of doing that. Um, and I also think it is to try and leave a better world than the one, you know, a more, in, in my case, I would say not a better world, but um, whatever my little corner of the world is, have it be, have it be safer and have it be um, that more people would be focusing on Christ and, and the church. And, you know? and I, by the way, it, whether you think it's weird or not, I actually think it's important, especially in our space that we're in here, because there's a lot of people, and it can be as simple as, uh, I've been in parts of my life, uh, I would say my previous marriage, where I don't think I was 
a great man in a sense, right? I have kids, I was kind of pushed over and there's things you can do. I, and I'll just say, for me, it's about learning uh, your role in your family, your, your Christ-centered, whatever it is, and even just learning to do projects. You've moved out in the country. I, ha I live out kind of in the city, but it's we have acreage here. We have chickens. Oh, cool. It's about oh, cool. even building a chicken coop for your wife, doing little things. And if you have an apartment, maybe it's even just figuring out how to uh, hang up stupid uh, uh, pictures and stuff on the wall. Sometimes it's just about doing these little things. And so for me, it's... Um, I was just interested in what you had to say about it. And I, I, cause I think I've seen you as a person and what you're, where you are in your life, uh, exuding what you think is, is a man. And I, I don't think there's a doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's a hard question. I mean, I think it, everything comes down to family. I think everything comes down to, to loved ones. I mean, that's all I really care about anymore, you know? And I think that, once people get have loved ones um they're willing you know it's like I've, I've talked to so many libertarians that had like you know who were like hardcore and caps and then they had kids and they were like um i will like murder the whole planet to keep these kids safe absolutely yeah and you know it's like um i love talking to those people because I just came to the to the conclusion that I, I'm I try to be very practical. So when it comes to like politics, I don't want to talk about something. I don't want to advocate for something that has no no chance of manifesting in reality. So what you do know? you label yourself as, or do you? I mean, I, I don't or is it even know. important to do so anymore? I mean, I, I don't really know. I think that, you know, I think that right wing is like anti-egalitarian and um, believes in hierarchy, believes in structure, believes in order. I mean, I care about order. You know, that's the worst yeah. thing. The, if If the summer of 2020 should have taught anyone anything is that, Order can break down really quick, can break down really fast. You know, I mean, 40, 40 Americans that we know of were murdered in the streets in 2020, and nobody really talks about them. You know, they only talk about the, the fentanyl head who, you know, who, who kicked it all, you know, was the excuse for kicking it all off. And then the, um, the pedophile, the, the, the wife beater and the, um, the thief in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm without order. I mean, I don't understand how anyone who's a libertarian doesn't realize that without order, you're not going to get your, you can't have what you want. I mean, I just want order. I'm at this point. I don't care if the, if the economics of the country, what the economics of the country are, as long as my friends are in charge and running it, who people who are, you know, share my values run it. I mean, I care more about just waking up and being able to look outside, look outside the front door and know that violence is not going to manifest itself and that order will be there. And I don't think that, a patchwork of 
private properties with a bunch of people who own guns but have never shot them is going to stop keep order you know or people who own guns and have shot them but if the if the time comes to take a human life which i've never done and i don't know if i'd ever do i don't know whether i'd be able to do it um these people don't know whether they'd be able to do it even in even protecting their own families yet they you know the concept of chesterton's fence right Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why take don't, it down if you don't know what the the reason it was up for? Yeah. Don't don't tear something down unless you know why the original people put it up. I mean, to me, that like that's the state. I think, and I think it's one of the reasons why I don't get why well libertarians who call for the ending of the state don't get targeted because no one takes libertarians seriously, but somebody who talks like I do, who talk. If I started talking about destroying the state, they would I could understand them wanting to target me because I talk about real political power. I talk about using the using the the methods and the tech and um, the mechanisms that can actually move that have actually historically moved politics. So I don't. Uh, and the reason I don't talk about the state is I talk about removing the state is not because I'm scared that they'll come after me if I do it. It's just because Chesterson Chesterson's fence tells me if you remove that apparatus, it could be a hell of a lot worse than it is right now. See, people don't, people think that this is the worst it could be. You know, people look around and they're like, I'm being taxed out the ass. Um, um, the age of consent law is only 16. Um, th this sucks. This is the worst it, it's ever been. Taxation is theft. This isn't the worst it's ever been. I mean, if you were living, if you, if you were a, an anarchist in Russia at the end of 1917, you were getting marched to a wall to be killed. Those are the first people who were killed. All right. Things can be much worse than they are right now. I just want to make them better. But I'm not I'm not one of these people who's like, I, I mean, oh, let's just throw everything out. Let's just get rid of everything. It's like, I mean, if we decided to rebuild this house, the foundation is phenomenal. I'm not going to tear apart the foundation. I'll just tear down, you know, what needs to be what needs to be rebuilt. On that note, your septic yeah. tank went <laughs> went out. Oh, what, hey, what are you what are you doing for the bathroom? <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it's still working. Oh, we okay. just can't. We can't, if you flush it too often, it you know you have to basically um, take that. But but the good news is is that you know. I had to be a statist and get a permit for my own property to put in the septic tank. Um, I mean, I, I could really what I should have done was I should have just broken the law and just got some Mexicans to come out here and just put in a septic tank. But I, I went the statist route. Um, but we got the permit today and um, work starts on Monday. So that's great. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I, I'll let you go. But I, I there was one thing I really wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> so we'll do it real quickly. You've had uh, um, kind of a, I don't know, of a love. You've gone after James, um, what's his name? Um, Lindsay. I, 
James Lindsay. Okay. Uh, and I, th you wrote a Substack about it, which I thought was, was fantastic. And, and I, I think I see kind of the, I don't know if the libertarians or even the right, they like to take people like RFK as an example, and they'll use, they'll get used by these people rather than maybe using them. What do you, what, what's your deal with James Lindsay? You could say it as quick as you want. It's, it's up, up to you. Uh, and I mean, what do you I'll think should be done with him? If you got, if you got time, I mean, I'll, I have time. I'll tell you I have exactly time. what's, tell you exactly what's wrong with him. He's a leftist. He he has said that classical liberalism is what's going to stop this left wing authoritarian um, government. How? See, I don't believe that. You know, if two thousand, if the housing crisis in two thousand eight taught you anything, it's that the majority of the people can want something done politically and still not get it. The overwhelming majority of people did not want the banks bailed out. The banks still got bailed out. We live, right. I believe, in elite theory that in every, in, and so does Hans Hermann Hoppe, by the way. If you, you know, if you read his, any of his writings on elite, on elites, is there's always a small group of really powerful people who are willing to do what it needs to be, do what needs to be done to move politics and to make change. Um, I don't, James Lindsay saying that classical liberalism hasn't even gotten started yet. And that's, what's going to defeat left-wing authoritarianism. In my opinion, classical liberalism got us to where we are right now. And I also believe that classical liberalism is the Genesis. And so does Ron Paul of libertarianism. So, when I look at the way what's happening right now, and I see James Lindsay talking about classical liberalism and also taking some of his quotes from the past and what he says, he goes to speak at pastor pastors conferences, ask him to come and speak. And he is an atheist who hates Christians. He's a, he's said this, you can look it up. You can go to his Twitter account and just search Christians. Um, he also is, he, he said that he would rather the woke ideology, left woke ideology, keep going than right wing authoritarianism step in to stop it. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm. So why? Why do you think the the right seems to jump in? Is it because of the 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 fake uh, dissertations or whatever he submitted with to the scientific journals to make a joke out of them? Is that why they've taken him under their wing, or, um, or he's taken them in a sense? He shares like their opinion on one or two things, and um, the right is so used to losing that they'll glom on to anyone. It's just like libertarians. I mean, libertarians love James Lindsay. Why? Because you're so used to losing somebody who's in the mainstream, who has you know a best-selling book, and who can get on Fox News or something. Oh, we you know we need to glom on to him. I mean, the guy's your enemy. If you won, if he won. Like if his way won, I mean, I don't know that they would like come after someone like me, but I mean, you're just basically going to be right back to where we are right now within, you know, a couple decades. Because, I mean, the only reason that I believe that like we don't, we don't, we didn't have from the founding, why it took, you know, 200 years from the founding, you know, 200 years plus from the founding to get to where we are now is because, well, I mean, we were living in an analog world. 
Hmm. Now we live in a digital world. Information just goes out there and they're able to just blast. I mean, Bernaysian kind of propaganda, propaganda all day long and people people eat it up. And a lot of times it's just people eating it up because they really are good people who want to do the right thing. And other times it's because they've bought into this New Deal and World War II kind of regime where anything too far right is evil. So they immediately, um, you know, I think that's why libertarianism was so easily subverted by, by progressives at some point is because, you know, well, first of all, I think libertarianism does come from the left, um, not like Hoppian, you know, Hoppe understands. I think Hoppe is really the only, if, if you're not a Hoppian, I mean, it's, I, I don't yeah. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you're basically a progressive who doesn't want taxes. I mean, you're, you still hold the anti-racist, you know, all, all this anti-racism in you and you're, you know, willing you're I mean, to me, anyone who anyone who considers himself to be not a progressive and not with the regime, but calls people Nazis. To me, you're just a leftist. I mean, you're just using using. OK, here, here, here's one thing using the left's language. James Lindsay uses the left's language. The right uses the left's language. Libertarians use the left use the left's language. I'm not using the, the, the language of my enemy, the people so that want me dead. Do you have any, um, you know, Scott Horton always says uh, argued to the right from the right, the left from the left. Is that is that almost something that you wouldn't do now? in a sense, but you're just like, uh, it doesn't matter. Or I don't even ever... know. Well, first of all, like if I argue, if somebody tries to, somebody tried to do that with me, uh, yesterday on Twitter, tried to argue the right from, uh, from the right. I, I saw me. that. And they're a leftist. That doesn't mean I don't care. I want you dead. I mean, it's like, literally, I don't, I, I want these people, I, I want these people enslaved. It's like, I mean, what do I care what they what they have to say? Now, if somebody on my side comes to me and they come to me privately and they're like, you know, I think you know, that's why I tell people, I, I, you know, I don't know if you're really in if you've been up on this whole thing. Um, no enemies to the right. No. Have you have you been? Yeah, there was a big Twitter space yesterday. I think it almost went three hours and it had a lot of people in there. But this my buddy, Charles Haywood. He came up with that idea. No enemies to the right. And no enemies, no public enemies to the right until your enemy gets defeated. Then once you, you know, and if that means Charles Haywood, who's not doesn't consider himself a national socialist or a white or a white nationalist, if that means that he's going to um, come together with those people to defeat the enemy we have, he's clearly said, well, then after we would defeat that enemy, we're going to have some, pro we're, we're going to have to take care of some things between ourselves because I don't agree with you, hmm. which brings us back to secession. Just go do your, go build your own thing. You know, that was the thing when I, you remember when Dave, um, remember when Dave debated um, Nick Fuentes a couple <laughs> yes. years ago? Yeah. Nick Fuentes was talking about. Um, That's what got Ryan Dawson all worked up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Dave was um, Nick is talking about, you know, oh, we need to take a, we, we need to do this. We need to. I mean, I would love to take over, take over Washington, D.C. and punish my enemies. It's just not going to happen. I just talk about it because that's the way it should be. That's the way it would eventually be done. But what he 
what Nick people like Nick Fuentes should do if they want like a white nationalist thing is just go find some land somewhere, a town somewhere and move into it and just basically take take it over. You know, and don't say you're fucking doing it. Don't you know, don't don't advertise the fact that you're doing this because you know that the you, the the regime in charge considers you to be their mortal enemy. Just right go state, do it. Like the right state project or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just go do it. You know, it's like, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, I like a lot of people in the free state project, but I don't think the free state project is going to work because it's infiltrated by too many leftists. Hmm. I just don't see, I mean, I've been to, I've been to pork fest and I've been to Liberty forum. They're two biggest events. And I mean, the, the amount of people who are left wing there who hate right wingers, who are part of that, who, who so, um, identify with it is just, I forget somebody said on Twitter the other day, it, you know, they should have named it the free County project because then you yeah. can have it where, you know, you have some people here, some people there, and then you, know, you, you have people who come together for um, like-minded who are like-minded. I mean, I just don't see in this world. And, you know, I wrote this in a sub stack that I think I released on Friday. I, I just don't see in this world how, you would want to share, be have a neighbor or share a polity, a political polity, with anyone who like hates you. We don't have to live that way. I mean, we shouldn't have to live that way. And people getting that through people's skulls is one of the hardest things. You know, it's like trying to get people to read Anatomy of the State. It's like, okay, well, it's sixty pages. Who, you know, what? How many normies have the have the um, even the attention span to read 60 pages. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, when I was a libertarian and an ANCAP, you know, how many people told me they were an ANCAP because of memes? <laughs> they never like read. I mean, right. they admitted to me clearly that they had never read a book. They had never done. I mean, and it's like, you, you don't really know your own theory. You know, that's why that, I spent. That, yeah. that goes everywhere though. You would yeah, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people on the right who, haven't read like you know people on the dissident right who haven't read yaki who haven't read carl schmidt i mean I, you don't even need to read yaki you need to read carl schmidt because carl schmidt as paul Gottfried, you know paul Gottfried learned how to speak german learned how to read uh, learn german so that he could study carl schmidt in the original language because it was that important to him he understood that he was the most important political mind of the 20th century probably of the last four or five hundred years and why because he understood what the modern state is and the modern state is friend and enemy. That's it. You either consider somebody to be your enemy or you consider somebody to be your friend. That is what politics is. And until people get that through their minds, you know, they but, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. If you start to try to break down into smaller, um, smaller sections, things like that. I'm going to still ask you questions unless you need to go. Then we'll Good. take out. Good. Uh, what's your definition of, cause you, you made me think of something here and, and I, I don't know what's your definition of left or right. And I'm thinking back, I remember Jonah Goldberg wrote the, um, the fascist libertarian fa or uh, liberal fascism. I think it was. Oh, yeah. And it was talking about, you know, the Nazis basically that they were from the left ideals. And you see the Crowder types that say that all the time. What mm -hmm. is your, and, and by the way, I think that's an easy Dinesh D'Souza type of thing of saying, Oh, the Democrats are just the, the party of slavery or whatnot. And, you know, things change from their roots.
but it's still also un- interesting and, and important to know those roots as well. You know, the, the Star Spangled Banner written by a socialist type of thing. Uh, so what is your definition of, of left and right? And especially when it comes to like the national socialist and what would you consider that a right wing? What is it left wing? And what's the definition? And, and is it too much to? I mean, that's I mean, from the national socialist point, I mean, I'd rather try to I mean, I think anti-egalitarianism is number one on the right. Okay. Anti-egalitarianism, um, hierarchy, um, understanding that hierarchy comes from nature. Um, um, I don't think economics has anything to do with it. I, I don't. I, I, I see these political compasses, and they're basically if you if you want if you're okay with tariffs or if you're like if you say that oh if a corporation gets out of hand the state should get should step in and, and you know crush them or or make them uh split up or do anything like that it automatically puts you on the left um, i don't think economics has anything to do with it to me culture is everything and you know to me right wing is anti-egalitarianism it is um believing in order probably believing in order and doing whatever it takes to have an orderly society is the most important thing. And I think that left wing is subjectivism and it's chaos. It's ra- It's three things mixed together. Two of them are really good. Rationalism and intellectualism. They're really good. But then they get mixed. But then subjectivism gets mixed in with it. And when subjectivism gets mixed in with intellectualism and rationalism, you have what you what we have now the world that we live in right now is those three things combined. And that's why, it's why when you, anyone wanted to argue with me that we have order or that we actually have a proper civilization, I I don't really know where it's even where to start with that conversation. I mean, by your definition and is communism kind of in there then? I mean, what, what, well, com- I mean, too much egalitarianism mixed in with. Too, yeah, there's too much egalitarianism mixed in communism. Bolshevism definitely was not about order. Was about. Um, was well, about- but Bolshevism. I'm I'm talking about the actual, you know, Maoist or uh, Leninist uh, societies that we actually had. Though I mean, there seemed to be uh, quite a amount of well, order. Well, if they, I mean, any any group that's preaching equality. I mean, that equality comes from the left. You know, even Thomas Sowell says equality is a myth. A man isn't even equal with himself on different right. days. Yeah. yeah, I think equality and egalitarianism is is definitely from the left. And it doesn't matter that the, the communists or the Bolsheviks didn't couldn't achieve what they wanted. It was what their stated goal was. And whatever they became, well, they, that's, they became, that's what they became. I don't know. <laughs> well, Pete, I appreciate you being on today. Can you tell everybody, everyone knows who you are, but where, where's the best place to go to find you and what do you have coming up? Um, Pete Quinones show. Um, we got an episode with Samuel Urban coming, coming out tomorrow. Um, he's a, we're looking at the woke, the woke phenomena from a purely anthropological standpoint, hmm. using anthropological definitions to try to figure out if it's, if it actually is a religion or not. Um, continuing series. We're, Thomas, Thomas, and I are going to record part two of the World War One series this weekend. Um, PeteSubstack.com. I got a Substack coming out tomorrow, um, which is 
what did I do this one on? Oh yeah. <laughs> Basically praising um, the, any kind of um, tribes that are still living in the wilderness and don't know anything about what's going on in the world <laughs> and how lucky they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's, I was just talking to my son. We were talking about some things last night about religion and uh, it's like, and I made the point of, you know, I, my wife saying, hey, if it's if it's against the Bible to be gay, as an example, are they going to still go to heaven? You know, these are philosophical, whatever, whatever we have right. in our family. Uh, and I'm like, think about like um, someone out in the bush. They've Are they going to go to, if you believe in heaven, are they going to go the fact that they've never been proselytized to or they didn't know what the Bible, they don't know these things. I imagine possibly, unless they're just, you know, I, I don't know if this matters at all, but you know, once you know that everything and you're you're aware and i guess this is maybe preaching even to the libertarianism once you know the reality of the world are you now uh required to adhere to those fundamentals in a sense yeah yeah well i don't know but yeah that, that's i remember those arguments in seminary were always fun oh are the pygmies the pygmies in <laughs> south are they if they never hear are they gonna uh, it's like uh i don't what, I, yeah, I, that's, I, these these this is too much it's too much but um something my wife and i were talking about this yesterday when we were um we were listening to john harris on the conversation that matter podcast talking about the trinity and i i said that my problem is is that you know when i examine the trinity there are definitely things there that are unexplainable and I think the problem that so many religious arguments have is that some people are just afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, if people want to ask me how the Trinity were, who, who was Jesus praying to in, you know, in the garden? I, I don't know how that works. I mean, I read, I read Galatians part, I read Galatians chapter two. It said that he gave up his, gave up his divinity to become as a bond servant. And, you know, I mean, he, he asked if the, you know, if God, if his father's will be done, I mean, these are, if he's fully God and fully man, how does that happen? I I think it's okay to say, I have no clue. (laughs) I just have no clue. Well, that's a good thing about being a Catholic too. You just go to the the catechism (laughs) and you're like, okay, there you go. There's That's the answer. <laughs> oh, there's the answer to everything. Uh, maybe it's the vanity, right? I, my clients get in trouble when sometimes they're asked and they want to answer everything. And it's like, no, 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 no. Sometimes I don't know. I don't recall. It's perfectly fine. Matter of yeah, fact, yeah. it's going to be better than whatever. Well, Pete, I really appreciate you coming appreciate- in here. Yeah, thank uh, you. We're going to go out with the Star Spangled Banner because that's <laughs> how we do it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, check out our show. That's a status song. I, it, it is, but you know what? It's one I have in here, though. So. Uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, sticking around. Pete, uh, I always appreciate it. We, uh, sometime, uh, oh, I was supposed to ask you, what's your favorite drink? Alcohol or? Yeah. Or, oh, alcohol? Um, oh, mixed drink. Um, oh, man. Uh, I mean, I, I, I go for the classics, man. I really like a, a, um, a highball. Okay, so when we get together, I'll, I'll try to get you one of the. I just go for beer. That's that's my thing. So. Oh, I'm good with that too. Okay, well, thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Pete. Uh, big appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Hang on, Pete. I'll talk to you in the behind. This is a, sure. a extra long outro though. It's unnecessary. Thanks. No problem. At all. Okay, I'm leaving now. Bye, guys. But she's back. And now. Chick Fil A is completely overrated. It's not that good. I prefer Zaxby's. I prefer Popeyes. 
takes a tough man to make a tender forecast, Nick. And I guess that's me. <laughs> Keep fucking that chicken. For, should I vote for Dick Cheney on the Libertarian Party? Do yes. I have an obligation to vote for Dick Cheney? I would say so. Yes. Did it work for those people? <laughs> no, it never does. I mean, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, but... But it might work for us. That one dude was like, not a podcast, I can't find it anywhere, and they don't have video. Oh, yeah, Peter Janky, yeah. He's yeah, a... I blocked him. I'll do it. If he unblocks me, I'll... I'll... <laughs> He'll buy your shirt if you unblock him, Bert. He's a wigger. Yeah, nothing cooler than so a 49-year-old wigger. Like... Yeah, I just started I live streaming. Cut me some slack. I'm fucking... I'm pretty high-tech for a boomer. Uh, but... Anyways, I'm...